Zealand Tech Podcast, the voice of the tech community, proudly supported by Umbrella Connect. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Spain. Today, we have our special startup panel recorded live on Clubhouse and produced in conjunction with the New Zealand Business Podcast and the new New Zealand Startup Podcast. We were fortunate to have some awesome guests on our panel, Linda Jenkinson, founder of multiple $100 million plus businesses, Vignesh Kumar, global from day one, Rob Vickery of Hillfront's Venture Capital, Nitin Prasad, Steph Bensman from Icehouse Ventures, David Ings, Rokos, and Inchi Fori Level 2. Now, special thank you to our New Zealand Tech Podcast partners, Umbrella Connect, Vocus, Vodafone, Spark, HP, and Gorilla Technology. All right, let's jump into the panel. First up, we've got uh, David Ings. So um, over to you, David. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, so David Ings, the co-founder and CEO of Startup Rokos. Uh, we provide a platform for coordinating uh, mobile robots. Thank you. That was very quick. Uh, Vinesh, how are you? Uh, thanks, Paul, for organising this. So, uh, yeah, look, my name is Vignesh, um, and I am a venture partner at uh, New Zealand venture capital firm called Global from day one. Um, which was a uh, which is a Series A uh, focused VC and it's been around since 2012, uh, about to raise our third fund later this year. Um, I'm also a, uh, a startup founder myself uh, of a company called Journey Health, which is focused on the oncology space. Uh, after my own fight with cancer in the US, and um, yeah, look, I'm a big tech and startup proponent, and um, yeah, definitely here involved in the ecosystem across a few different angles so um yeah just excited to be part of the journey uh with folks and happy to be here thank you vinesh uh steph welcome to uh, the panel and thank you for joining us thanks for organizing paul um kia ora, i'm steph i've just recently in the last few weeks actually joined the ice house ventures team as an investment principal um but i've been involved in the startup seen my whole career since I was 18, which isn't actually that long. Um, but I was first, um, my specialty is youth enterprise, so helping young people get into business. So I did that through um, the charity Young Enterprise Trust um, and then moved over to Creative HQ, have run accelerator programs um, and been involved with incubation programs as innovation specialist for the team there. So the Wellington's kind of startup base. Thank you, Steph. Uh, Nitin, over to you. Thanks, Paul, for organising this. Uh, I'm just humbled to be among some amazing people here and uh, some amazing people in the room too. So I'm going to learn a lot tonight, which is great. Um, just a bit about me. I've just happened to work with a lot of tech startups in um, New Zealand, and I had a company quite a while back ago, a startup, um, uh, and I learned a lot from it. And yeah, I've been uh, in the Spark uh, Entrepreneurship Challenge scene here in Auckland and uh, in Wellington. So I really just love startups and pitching ideas and, and things like that. Um, currently, I'm on a mission to help 100,000 people to learn about product product management. So I'm just doing some videos on uh, Skillshare and other platforms. So great to be here and uh, looking forward to learning um, from you all. Thank you. Thanks so much. And uh, over to you, Imtia. Kia ora, my name is Insha. Um, I am the CEO and co-founder of Level 2 Ventures. Um, we're a deep technology incubator and an early stage investor uh, with about 9,000 square metres of laboratory and workshop space for science and engineering startups. Thank you. And Rob? 
Hi everyone, I'm Rob, uh, Rob Vickery. I'm the managing partner of um, Hellfarence Venture Capital. So we're an early stage pre-seed and seed venture fund in New Zealand. Um, my career in venture capital started off as initially as a founder in the UK and then I became a VC in Los Angeles and in California. So been about 10 years as an investor, um, invest mostly at the frontier end of software enabled hardware, AI, machine learning, aerospace and defense, um, all sorts of areas. And uh, yeah, Hillfarence just passed its first birthday. We've made about eight investments um, in New Zealand. We launched New Zealand's first ever scout fund and we're innovating on a whole bunch of other areas too. That's exciting. Thank you, Rob. And Linda, thank you. For, I know you've just been uh, just been in a board meeting, so thank you for uh, uh, ducking out of that to uh, to join us. No, it's lovely to be here. Um, so I'm a, I'm a global entrepreneur. I started my first company out of New Zealand 30 years ago, New Zealand tech company, SAS, and um, listed it on the NASDAQ seven, days, seven years later, got it to about half a billion in value. Uh, and then I based myself in Silicon Valley for many years and started four more companies um, for profit as well as social venture and um, sold three of those companies. And so, um, and I've been back in New Zealand for about four years uh, doing governance. Uh, I live between Wellington and San Francisco, which is great in a COVID world. And um, I've been helping New Zealanders uh, with their companies for more than 25 years. And so my mission is to really provide that global entrepreneurial sort of scale up um, expertise in New Zealand and I've got a program called Level Up and I'm sort of working with a whole bunch of companies to help. So I'm here to help and support the ecosystem. Uh, I love scaling companies and, and I'm really delighted to be here and to be here with all of you. Thank you. Thank you, Linda. Well, what a what a fantastic panel, and I'm really looking forward to hearing the, the different perspectives that we will uh, get, no doubt hear today. I wanted to start off, and there's only going to be so much that we can cover uh, in this particular panel, and so we will have to uh, do more of these in future, and maybe you know drill down to a bit um, you know a bit deeper. So I think we probably want to keep this reasonably high level in terms of you know delve, delving into sort of some of the the more technical aspects of um, of startups, um, but very keen to hear perspectives on what are those things, what are the hallmarks of um, Kiwi startups and how we how we run them, the things that we maybe do well, um, possibly some of the, some of the areas that uh, we we fall a little bit short on. So um, I think if we sort of go around the panel, uh, starting with David, that would be awesome. So over to you, David. Sure, David here. Um, I think as New Zealanders, we think we can do anything. And sometimes we try to do everything, which is potentially a downfall. Uh, and sometimes it means we create incredibly ambitious companies that can succeed. And I think the, one of the first learnings when you start working offshore is how companies specialize very quickly in overseas markets, you know, dominate much smaller areas uh, and then kind of grow from there. So I, I think that is both a serious advantage. It's the number eight wire, thinking we can do everything ourselves. It means you have uh, very um, cross-functional teams that are very capable all across you know a specific industry but sometimes you don't land up with the deep specializations that you get in in other companies and also it can actually restrict growth if you're biting off too much 
at the end of the day. So I think it's that healthy balance of, of using it as an advantage uh, to some degree, but when you're expanding globally and most of us building tech companies are global from day one is really that focus on you know don't go too far um, kind of figure out what that area of specialization really needs to be I think to yeah add on what David said um, you know the ambition thing is quite clear when you see it um, in the founders in New Zealand um, and you know compared to folks overseas and um, ambition in the sense that it's, you know, Kiwis, we try to do more with less. And, you know, when you talk about the angle of kind of New Zealand being historically capital constrained, um, it's the ambition to do kind of stretch that dollar further so that, you know, you, you can kind of go with more proof points versus our, our counterparts overseas um, who are kind of raising um, more lofty rounds um, on, on kind of future vision. So I, I think that's that's pretty cool. I think the other aspect is also, um, this is a personal thing. I think um, Kiwis, we are definitely less humble braggy um, or kind of braggadocious compared to our peers overseas. And that's, that's also a strength. I think when investors who have who've been in their market, and I think definitely folks like Rob um, can attest to this, um, you know, when they come to New Zealand and see kind of the the more kind of genuine human aspect of, of building a company versus kind of uh, layered on um, visions and all that kind of stuff of, of the future. Um, people people tend to appreciate and resonate with that. So I definitely think that those are strengths, um, but also, you know, to what David said is it's, it's also a little bit of a double-edged sword where um, the typical investors or whoever overseas who see these things um, they, they may view it as an advantage or a disadvantage. Um, but again, personal preference uh, being Kiwi, um, I, I definitely appreciate the, the more kind of uh, human nature, less humble braggy, um, trying to do more with less, um, and also try, striving to not uh, over-promise and under-deliver, but unfortunately, um, a lot more hardware and deep tech startups fall under that, that uh, kind of uh, problem. But um, yeah. Building off that actually, Steph here, I think the thing I love about New Zealand startups is just that community feel and that I um, find founders in New Zealand, because it's that two degrees of separation, are quite ambitious with who they can get in contact with because it's so easy to. And I love seeing them take that overseas. Like I've seen a few startups lately um, who started in New Zealand and now operating overseas and just the way that they... um, get quite creative with how they reach out to different people and they're getting meetings with some really important people to expand um, and it yeah, comes back to that humbleness of New Zealanders and how they work really well together and just are nice people um, which is a really cool way to build a company I think. Um, yeah, re- really good uh, chat and I just saw Andy Hamilton come into the room because uh, my topic was going to be about execution and I think Andy's probably the father of execution at, uh, in New Zealand. He's probably seen all the companies that I'm going to mention. Uh, so I've had the privilege to work for the likes of MCOM, Vend, E-Road, Harmony, um, and I've seen the execution in the product space. So I guess my trade is product management, and I've just got a recall with uh, Karina as well, who's a VP of um, uh, Rome Digital. So follow her if, uh, if you want to learn a lot about pro- product. but. You know, executing um, products uh, outside of New Zealand, uh, especially the likes of when I was working at the E-Road, 
um, the challenges we faced when um, E-Road first launched their uh, weight mileage tax product in Oregon, and they thought they could, you know, capture the, you know, the global, or sorry, the entire U.S. and learned that each, you know, each state is a is a country, and just all these tough product challenges that you come across, um, and then also scaling product teams and. Um, yeah, so that that execution piece is so critical, and I just find that really, uh, really, really um, humbling to see so many entrepreneurs, the likes of um, Adam Clark and Vaughn and uh, uh, Stephen Newman, who have taken all these you know really cool ideas uh, to the world and executed, um, and continuing to execute with really innovative ideas and uh, sorry problems that they're solving as well. I think that one of the one of the perks of being where we are and being as small as we are, it means that our startups are forced to think globally from day one. Um, bit of a shout out there, Vignesh. Uh, but it is, it's true. We can't start a company just by focusing on the New Zealand market. We have to start thinking about the world as our market. Um, at the same time, I do see some founders who underestimate how difficult it can be to bridge that gap between being a New Zealand startup and being a significant player on the world stage. That said, the ecosystem is sophisticated more now than it, we used to be. We're now starting to see examples of how other companies have bridged that gap, who have made it on the world stage, and applying that mentorship back into the ecosystem, which makes me pretty excited. And um, the other thing I just think is worth mentioning and this is kind of piggyback, piggybacking off of, off of David, um, focus can be a challenge. There's a fine balance that you need to strike between trying to do a bunch of things that could potentially build your venture and just focusing on the one thing that's going to supercharge it. That's something that I see some some Kiwi founders struggle with a bit. Okay. Yes, this is Rob. Um, I think there's some really good things and there's some things that are still quite challenging in the New Zealand market. The first, the good, you know, I'm trying to be a pint glass half full kind of guy um, is that there's some really well thought out business models here. Um, people have spent time, they have tested because they can test quite efficiently and well in New Zealand. And I find the business models are pretty strong. Um, I think that teams here are extremely capital efficient and actually excited to spend money, especially when they raise a big round. Sometimes that can be a little challenging for founders who have been here with, and with the state of the capital markets here is that they've kind of had to raise lots of little rounds in between. And so, you know, suddenly getting now with the kind of newer money that's in town, having a big capital injection can be quite daunting, but also really exciting for founders. And I love seeing the reaction of that. Um, I think also people here and the founders that I've funded and met are really good at building strong, cohesive teams. So the people who work here really enjoy their jobs. Um, they seem to be extremely satisfied. And you know, I've come from a market where people kind of job hop every six months because they couldn't bring their dog into the office, you know, that kind of thing. And um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying that. Um, some of the things that I, I look forward to seeing change is that I actually don't see the audacity for global mindsets here. I see a lot of Australasia expansion and then that's it. And I think that kind of feeds from the the batch BMW and the boat kind of philosophy. And, you know, in venture capital, we're really funding the the one to $2 billion kind of enterprise value companies. And you can't do that within Australia and New Zealand. So um, I'm, I'm seeing more people wanting to do, to have more, you know, more ambitious goals, but um, sometimes that that's hindered at the moment. Um, and I go on about this all the time, but there's so many buggered cap tables and, and overly, oh much, so much overly complicated governance in, in very early stage companies that it's a 
can be quite suffocating for founders um and i think a lot of that comes from a relatively early and pardon my you know somewhat um you know, rude term here but somewhat immature and undercapitalized early stage funding market there's not much here um and also some of the funding market here has got some very interesting terms that make it not very founder friendly um and then also just generally i think some founders are not audacious enough at the first glance i think there is if you chip away at some of the ideas there's a massively audacious business plan here um but i think it feeds back into the australia and the, the bbb type thing i think with a bit of chipping away there's some phenomenal business here and um i think you know if, if founders and funders want to come here particularly funders they just got to be prepared to spend a bit more time with the founders and, and really work on um, how big their idea can actually get but i'm super excited to be in this market i think it's probably one of the most exciting markets um, for startups in, in, in the world and uh, glad to be here. Okay, it's um, it's Linda here. So Rob stole a lot of my thunder. I, um, you know, I think Kiwis, um, you know, we're very tenacious. We've got this great set of skills. You know, we, we bowl doors down, we make things happen, we get on a plane. Um, but I, the, things, the things that I don't see in it, a lot of it's been said, but maybe I'll just say it in a slightly different way. Um, if you ask Kiwis, you know, how they're going to win globally, how are they going to win? What does that look like? Um, in my experience, building global companies, I think about that every minute of the day. I often don't get answers. And you see quite a few Kiwi companies getting stuck at the 15 to $20 million range as a result of that, that drive and that evolution that's sort of needed. Um, I think another um, attribute is that Kiwis tend to compete rather than collaborate. Um, I, uh, um, both with other founders, but with founders in the marketplace, with other companies in the marketplace. The question is, if we're disrupting a market, how do we not work together in an anti-competitive way, but support each other more? And Kiwis, I think, miss um, things at the table because they don't do that enough. Um, I completely agree with Rob about cap tables. You know, there's quite a few companies that are just unfundable. I just spoke to a founder this week, and uh, on the first round, the founders only own 45%. You know, it just doesn't line up with, with what's needed. I think lastly, and this is changing, I think the point was made that, you know, the market's evolving, but one of the things that's challenging is that we don't have enough growth executives. I always say there's sort of SMEs and there's corporate, but when you're getting into that sort of how do you get from the 1 million to the 50, have it being able to get a set of executives that understand that ride's important. So that's, um, it's a, it's great that we're getting more companies and more experience in that, but I think it's challenging. It puts a lot more pressure on the CEOs here and that they have to pull off even more of the impossible. And how do we help bridge that? Um, wanted to make a comment um, and maybe I have a question for the panel, uh, Paul, maybe that. Sure, far away. So I was, uh, I was wondering, you know, given that access to capital uh, in New Zealand is quite tough, is it getting better now that we have, you know, uh, a range of options now? Like, you know, it's Noble Effect uh, coming in, you know, just platforms like that that enable startups to kind of get funds different ways that they hadn't thought of before? 
Um, maybe we can we can come back to that because I did want to get into um, into the the funding aspect. But before we do that, I'm I'm keen to move on from the things that we've just discussed uh, in in terms of uh, you know I guess broadly our our strengths and weaknesses, our uniquenesses as um, as Kiwis and Kiwi startups, and whether you've got any thoughts on um, and again just going around the panel um, thoughts on how we should respond to those things what should we be uh, doing differently uh, to take either take advantage of those strengths or what are the answers to addressing um, some of those shortcomings that uh, that we have versus uh, other markets um, starting with you again David please thanks yeah David here um, I think the first thing is accessing what we term globally competitive team members every single person we hire we judge them against this concept of could we put them up on the world stage at a conference on their topic so if they're a qa engineer if they're a robotics engineer if they're a salesperson could they stand up at that world conference and and talk about their topic and everyone would learn something are they a world expert at what they do and we will access those people from anywhere in the world um and and we're just really strong on you know even the graduates we take out of university is like is this a world-class person on this incredible growth curve in their career. Um, so, so I think that's one area. The, the second is having great advisors. And New Zealand has such a great unfair advantage when it comes to finding, you know, incredible advisors. Um, there's a great example for us. We we managed to um, get, you know, advisory services from, from uh, a gentleman called Dave Ferguson. He had raised over a billion dollars out of SoftBank to do a robotic startup in the Valley. Um, you know, he was originally a key and you know it's so difficult in some of the other regions in the world to access those types of people but because we have such great close connections in New Zealand you can just LinkedIn someone and get a response uh, you just assume that somebody will get back to you and you can have a conversation with them which which is so absolutely wonderful um, and then of course you know people like Linda that have actually gone before us and and done this before um i think that humbleness means we take advice and we realize that we you know know so little uh, about this path ahead of us and the more people we can get data points from uh the better you know tempering that with the fact that your industry might be different uh, um you know or the path to market might be different but we we take advice i think really well and so i think attracting you know, great advisors, mentors that, that have done it, that are willing to spend a huge amount of time and have no expectation of shares or being paid for, for their advice is um, pretty wonderful. Um, yeah, look, I think building off of that, the things that we could do to better leverage and improve upon, I think um, the first obvious one, and everyone probably heard the news, right? So Rocket Labs with the, Rocket Lab with the SPAC and recycling of talent from those sorts of companies and um, opportunities back into the ecosystem. So I'm sure there'll be, you know, operations managers, engineering managers, product managers, what, what have you, going through kind of the public listed experience in the US who will now be able to be kind of boots on the ground back into the local ecosystem here, kind of energizing it, being the adrenaline shot of, you know, to build on Linda's point, 
growth building experiences from a startup lens. Um, so that's something that New Zealand hasn't really had in a meaningful way. We've had exits which have been getting better and better and better. Um, but obviously, when you come from the US and you come to this market, you do see that it's an order of magnitude kind of lower than where it needs to be. But the opportunities like what we see with companies going public on the NASDAQ and whatnot, especially Kiwi companies with strong Kiwi talent, um, you know, they get to recycle back into the ecosystem. That's the inspiring part. And, you know, you only have to look at kind of the alumni of some of these companies who are now starting to, you know, create their own companies, raising mega rounds, um, kind of becoming the new, um, the next gen of the kind of um, ambitious founders that people want to back and support. So that's one. And then um, I guess in terms of kind of how to, how to grow the ecosystem a bit better and develop better best practices, um, pushing science anchored innovations through more of a kind of commercial startup type lens. I think um, this this speaks a lot to some of the things that Rob was also mentioning where we talk about cap tables and whatnot. Um, New Zealand is really good from the kind of academic standpoint where we create a lot of innovation and by virtue of being a small population, high per capita density of engineers. Um, and so we do create a lot of science anchored innovations. Um, but we kind of get stuck in this of this process of commercializing it in very um, antiquated ways where, you know, it's not an efficient spin out. It's more of this kind of, you know, burdensome cap, um, cap structure, which isn't appealing for VCs who want to try and kind of push this to be global. Um, so that's kind of one thing I'd say is try and push those sorts of science anchored innovations to be considered more through a kind of commercial um, startup lens of commercialization rather than your more kind of tech transfer office um, setup. Um, and then lastly, again, it's the, the funding kind of life cycle. I think um, Nitin, this may or may not answer some or all of your question, but, you know, New Zealand, we, we haven't we haven't really had a, a true scarcity of, of capital. It's more the fact that we've had a real oversupply at the angel side, and then it's kind of been a little bit of a valley of death after that. And then it's been strong again on this on the kind of late growth equity stage. And so, um, you know, with more people coming in and kind of filling that capital gap, um, it makes the ecosystem a bit more robust. And especially when we get people who have recycled opportunities with good um, companies, they kind of get better at this whole pattern matching experience of seeing um, what, you know, what, what, what makes a good startup at an early stage. Um, so that's that's another thing uh, we could do better on is kind of improving that kind of funding gap and ability to kind of see um, and thesis build on what comes next in terms of innovations. Steph, yeah, yeah I think building on what everyone said is that um, how I look at it is that our role and whatever we are for investors, mentors, supporters of these founders is not dismissing them based on what they don't know. So if they're not thinking that, if they don't have that global mindset, considering why don't they have that global mindset, and what I've um, really seen with founders and what it comes down to is three things. And this is a lot with young founders in particular, because that's where my expertise are. But the first one um, is confidence. And how do you build the confidence in them to make them feel like they can go global? They do have the ability to build these multi-billion dollar companies that are disrupting the world and how we do things. Um, and that comes down from education and connecting them 
with other people, other New Zealanders who have done that, with people that they can relate to. That's where diversity comes into the play and that it's really important to showcase people that they can see themselves in. Um, and when you do meet these really impressive entrepreneurs who you just can't believe they exist, you start to realise they are just normal human beings and that um, they've just got a lot of resilience um, and a lot of motivation behind them to do cool things. So I think that's the second part of it is the connections. How do we connect these people? Um, and then the third is giving them the capability. So that is finding the talent overseas, um, that they those growth people that they can really learn from and build their skill sets to be able to do that. And that may come into moving in their roles as they grow, whatever it is, to just making sure they've got the support to grow these big companies. Um, and I think as a as a community we're quite well connected we're good at hosting events and education but it's how do we support those who don't yet know that they want to do this and expand and make the startup community a bit more um, accessible and inclusive so when founders do come to the stage that they want to launch they've got that confidence in themselves that they can think global from the beginning just building on what Wignesh was saying uh, around recycling talent um, and I'm putting my product hat on now like trying to identify the problems and, and what we're saying as a panel it's more like a question of what this is a this is a thing that I've always had is how might we uh, um, you know uh, build a, a talented pool of um, leaders uh, product leaders engineering leaders design leaders um, that you know not only contribute to uh, you know, startup success, but actually help um, others who may not have been exposed to any of this and and build this m amazing community of people that, um, you know, can go on and to build uh, companies or even just uh, side projects that, that become, you know, really impactful in, in whatever goal that they want to achieve. Something that I've always uh, struggled in, you know, like uh, finding good platforms and, you know, good resources and leaders that I could uh uh, lean on to or a platform where I could learn from. I think I think that's really important. And I know there are a few people like Warren and a few others that are doing amazing things. Um, but I think it starts in the grassroots uh, to really get that going. Um, and as a product person, I'm I'm constantly looking for different platforms to to learn from. Um, I think we can do definitely do better in the space. Hi, Imsha here. Um, I completely agree with Linda and Rob's comments earlier that our historic approach through to capitalization makes some startups so difficult to invest in. Um, this is particularly true in startups that have spun out of publicly funded research institutes or startups that have taken money from, frankly, predatory early investors. Um, founders should be encouraged to negotiate harder for themselves. To Stick's point, this is about building founder confidence and building an understanding of what a long capital journey means. Um, I do think that the introduction of new investors like Rob and new funds like Level 2s will place more of that pressure on other investors in the ecosystem to add more, to act more in the interest of founders, which ultimately is better for everyone in the long term. Uh, this is Rob. Um, <clears throat> I think it's interesting everyone's talking about Rocket Lab, and I agree, it's a gigantic success, but Rocket Lab is a US company. There are actually very few investors who are Cubies in Rocket Lab, which means that the recycling value from Rocket Lab is actually diminished. What would have been amazing was that if the early stage funding community backed Pete right back at the beginning, and that meant that we suddenly had an inordinate amount of new startup wealth that has been generated um, from that business. 
And a lot of it is in the US. I mean, the great thing is that there's 500 people who work um, for Rocket Lab in, in Auckland and, and, in, and in Gisborne. And some of them are going to become millionaires from the, from the IPO, which is excellent. Um, but not as many as it should be. And I think what we need to do here is to fund more founders who have the courage to swing big, like Pete. Um, I think tall poppy is a thing that, you know, is a thing that we have to try and solve. That's probably one of the biggest risks that we have to our startup market here. And, you know, it, it can be solved and it will be solved, I hope. Um, but um, there's that. I also think we have a truly unique time in history and we have a brand a global, a country brand, a national brand that is massively elevated. And we have a chance to be able to create a new ecosystem here that doesn't mimic or clone Silicon Valley or Israel or London or any of the other markets, right? We can stand out on our own. In fact, we need to strike out on our own. Um, and I think, you know, there's so many areas around that. I mean, I'm really fascinated by, by Maori and, and Pacifica founders and their vision to create thousand-year-old businesses or to create businesses that serve the community that they're based in as well as just their cap tables. I mean, there's, there's opportunities to do really cool things around that and to completely upend the traditional view of what is investing in startups. Um, I mean, I've heard some of the one a material fellow who told us that we could be the back office of Silicon Valley. That is not the truth. You know, that, that would be a, a failure. We can be on our own and we can stand out on our own. And I think it is, um, I see a lot of startups that think of that once they've got to a certain point or they're trying to raise money from Americans is that they can up sticks and then they have to domicile in the US. I think that's actually a mistake. I think we can still headquarter companies here, create satellite offices overseas in those markets. But you, know, you should never really move your company to be close to your investors. You should move your company to be close to talent and to your customers. And I actually think we can, we can keep a lot more companies here and recycle more value here. Um, and that lastly, I think that the humility in our number eight wire mentality is refreshing you know, compared to the hubris of Californian entrepreneurs. Now, I'm not knocking Californian entrepreneurs because I've backed lots of them and they've done amazing things. But what I love about Kiwi Pitches is that there's a whole bunch of like too much humility sometimes, but at least I'm not trying to pick out what is bullshit and what's truth. Um, here, it's kind of like I'm trying to add a little bit more bullshit into it <laughs> to make it more, uh, more exciting. Um, but I think, yeah, as founders, you know, I, I recognize that a lot of our founders need to raise our prices and be more aggressive on building it, the enterprise value of our companies. And it comes down to courage and it comes down to audacity and, and we'll get there in the end. You know, more companies that reach the levels of success of, of Rocket Lab and Zero and others, um, it'll happen naturally. And uh, it's a very exciting time to be here. And that's why I'm here. I think if I could quickly just add a comment there, just uh, um, address something that Rob was saying. I think it's it's for the benefit maybe of some of some in the audience. Um, you know, there's a distinction between recycling of capital and talent. And while I agree that you know, not to make this about Rocket Lab, while I agree it is a U.S. domiciled company, in the truest sense of the world, we're talking about you know, at least in the earlier commentary, recycling of talent through those growth experiences. Because that's what helps kind of give you that lens or perspective of um, what is an ambitious type um, startup um, experience, right? So I think there's kind of a distinction here of recycling of capital. And I agree that, yes, you know, almost no uh, early stage investors backed Pete, and that's a shame. Um, but again, when you think about the recycling of, you know, the ops managers, the engineering managers, supply chain managers, the uh, product managers, the sales managers, it's that kind of experience, which is all lo located locally, 
which goes back into the ecosystem um, post this listing experience. So, you know, there's a distinction here between kind of capital recycling and talent recycling. Um, so I don't think they should be conflated to one as kind of an admonishing either side. No, no, I agree with that. I mean, I, my second company I funded here was founded was found, founded by one of the early engineers at Rocket Lab, and it's been really successful thus far. But, you know, when when investors who have funded these companies or, or, or employees who then leave and then cash in their stock options, they become, you know, LPs and funds, they become GPs of their own funds, or they go off and create another startup on their own. And, you know, there's a, a certain portion of that that is not here. And that, that is that is sad. Um, but I, I also agree with you, Nathan, it, it is true. There's a good good base of people here. Linda, look interested in your comments. Sure. I mean, so many great comments, um, and I agree with um, all of it. Um, I'm going to pick up on, a, on, on this point about how do we um, – how a different angle on this and it's a point that Rob brought up around sort of overcooked boards at the startup side and what I would say is what I uh, I think one of the things that can really help uh, Kiwi companies is by um, really uh, being more um, distinctive about who they bring on to help and um, it's those it's really looking for growth people and what I find is the sort of over-index on corporate and institutional and under-index on growth and um, and taking a global perspective on that because there's there's a lot of, you know, the great thing, of, especially with COVID, is the world's got closer. So thinking more strategically about that, which will um, support them and how they um, how they jump the chasm because growth people focus um, on different questions than corporate people and what I find with many of the companies that I get involved with is they've got a and nothing against these folks you know they're putting money in and their time but it's over indexed they'll have um, you know first time investors or folks that have not grown a company um, giving them 90% of their advice and that's not helpful so um, to me um, really being more distinctive about how you structure the advice and input that you're getting can help companies um, get over that, you know, the $20 million hurdle, really having more of a runway of seeing where they're going. So, um, uh, you know, that's it for me, but just something that I think is incredibly important for New Zealand companies. Thank you, Linda. And look, really, really insightful commentary there from uh, everyone on the panel. Thank you so much. Um, Nitin, did you want to jump in with a question? I know what you were asking before may have been uh, answered to some degree. Um, did you have a question you wanted to raise? Also want to now open up for those that are in the audience. Uh, if anybody would like to put their hand up and come and join us, we'll, we'll move now rather than sort of the, the round robin around the whole panel. We'll move now into a time where we can we can ask some questions and if you want to jump in and answer um, just unmute your mic and uh, if you're the only one with your mic unmuted then um, then uh, jump on in Nitin. I think Vignesh answered uh, my question um, let's hear from the room Okay, while we're uh, waiting, and I'm hoping the moderators have sort of opened up to allow people to put their, their hands up, um, while waiting for that, I'm kind of keen, there was there was one area that got uh, delved into uh, or mentioned was around competing versus collaborating. 
I would I would love to hear thoughts on how we uh, can collaborate better and um, you know just some just some thoughts on that because it's certainly something um, that I think you know, probably all of us you know see this sort of tendency um, to, to maybe not look at the opportunities to collaborate but somebody like to jump in on that one Dave here um I absolutely uh, agree with the comments around New Zealand companies uh, in terms of com- competition. Uh, most of the time when you find what you even suspect starts looking like a competitor in the early days of a startup, once you actually dig into it, because they're much more specialized, you actually land up collaborating and partnering. Uh, in New Zealand, it's the opposite. If there is any potential future scenario with the tiniest overlap, uh, you're considered a competitor. Um, and I found that really frustrating. It's, it's easier for me to go out and get 10 partners in Europe and the US and one partner in New Zealand many of the time. Um, and I think it comes down often to that area of specialization versus, um, you know, being more generic. And it, I think it is getting better, especially for the companies that focus on that concept and Vignesh we're helping you today with the global from day one Uh, when you've got that obsession uh, you realize that if you can find partners that can take away that problem from you rather than trying to hold on to the IP or solve it yourself you can move so much faster and to Linda's comment about being growth focused you know companies that are trying to take on the world are trying to remove as many barriers as fast as they can and by doing everything yourself that's not going to help you move as fast as you possibly can um so i think there is this growing community that are obsessed from day one to focus on the global market and we are um you know helping better but i i still think it is a problem we see day to day uh, in new zealand yeah, I think um, just quickly on that global from day one, it's turning into a bit of a drinking game. Take a shot every time you say global from day one. But um, look, I think in terms of the competition uh, aspect, yep, that's historically been a, an issue here, as David pointed out, where even the slightest kind of hint uh, of some sort of competition or the same commercial partner may potentially be engaged in some sort of deal with someone who's tangentially associated um, kind of creates this this um, this whole firewall of you know they're competing with us and uh, this is something we've experienced with some of our portfolio and even as an angel investor I've experienced um, but then conversely we were also seeing the fruits of kind of this open collaboration framework where um, to kind of really name explicit examples you know HeartLab um, I know Will is um, well he was in the audience and I think now is he still there Polygon. But um, yeah, HeartLab, you know, and they, young startup in digital health, um, and they work really, um, really closely with other founders in the digital health space to kind of share learnings on a weekly basis. Um, And this is, you know, learnings across how do you expeditiously file for 510K approval in the, uh, with the FDA? Um, You know, how are you building your quality system? And all those sorts of notes where, startups may have historically kind of been guarded around those things to ensure that they have a leg up over their competitor. Um, we're seeing young startups like HeartLab, like Will Hewitt, um, be really open to sharing that with uh, other companies. So, um, you know, we are seeing a, a sea change and it's good to see and we have to encourage more of that kind of stuff. I agree with you completely. I mean, I, um, I took a fairly 
interesting approach with um, the carried interest from our fund. I actually gave 20% of the profits that we typically make as investors to our founders. Um, and I gave that to them so that they would kind of collaborate more together um, and share ideas, share customers, share pain, um, share recruiting leads. And um, I think, yeah, I think here we're such an early market that being competitive with, with each other doesn't really benefit anybody. Um, you know, one of the things I also see when it comes to competition and when I've got founders pitching me, you know, most of them have done a bit of a check around Singapore, Australia, New Zealand, but I encourage people to spend a bit more time on Crunchbase and having a look at, okay, tell me a bit more about this competitor in Palo Alto. Who is that? Because there are lots of uncomfortable moments I have in pitch meetings when I bring it up and, and they didn't know about it. So I think we need to consider that our competition isn't necessarily on these shores. Our competition is in extremely well-funded and capitalized and well-run businesses in California. Um, and I want to add to that, Rob, because I think that's a great point. When I start a company, I know every competitor globally and I'll talk to all the CEOs and I'll often talk to them every quarter. And it is incredible um, what you learn and um, I sort of see it as outsourced product development. I are summer interns to refresh all of that global data. And I was able to use that to pivot, to acquire companies, to do different things. So that uh, really understanding that global market to me is really Fantastic. Um, oh, Steph, did you want to uh, share something? Yeah, I was just going to make a note on the competitor thing. I think it's incredibly important Like when we're talking to startups all the time and they don't know who their competitors are, but also just bad-mouthing their competitors isn't what we want to hear. It's like, what are the constructive things that you're doing that makes you different and why are your, the customers that you're going out that they sh- you share with them, why are they going to choose you over your competitors? I find, obviously, if they're your competitors, you're going to think they're bad at everything. That's <laughs> what you want to think. Um, but they're probably good at a lot of things. So, like, what can you learn from them? What can you take from them? Um, and how can you be better is something that I'd love to hear more from founders um, once they have identified their competitors. I just wanted to say a success story uh, in the fintech space. Um, a few people like Binu Paul and Michelle Femme, you know, with the fintech New Zealand community, I was fortunate to go to some of the conferences uh I think it was in 2019, and and that was just born from, you know, Bino realised that there was there wasn't a community where uh, all the fintech companies in in Australasia, well at least in New Zealand, you know, weren't kind of coming together and collaborating. And now it's become a huge event. Um, they have you know hackathons during the day. Um, they have pitches. Um, yeah, and uh, there's a lot of good collaboration that goes on in that uh, community. So. Um, there's a lot that can be done uh, that are simple things to allow that collaboration. Thanks, Nitin. What I'd like to do is we, we're running uh, running towards the end of the show uh, is just g- give a chance, I think, um, across the room if there are any t- any tips. And maybe we do um, go sort of from from um, top to bottom again. Um, feel free to, you know, I would say if we can just keep these reasonably short, but noting the things that we've talked about and uh, there's been some incredible insights and, um, and already some great tips uh, especially in that last uh, section around uh, collaboration and knowing your competition. Um, but if anyone's got some uh, some tips to share, whether it's from the execution perspective, uh, funding, um, that hasn't already been shared in the room, um, then I'd love to, uh, love to hear those as we start uh, wrapping up. 
look, you know, when it comes to founders raising money, ask me for it. I can't tell you how many pitches I've been in where we've had a lovely conversation. I've gotten really excited about your company and then you don't ask me for the money. <laughs> so, um, you know, always have that clear in your pitch deck and in your mind about, you know, what, how much you want to raise, how you're going to spend it and what's it going to accomplish. Um, I'd also be laser focused on your cap table. Know that that is your most precious asset in the world and it's all you have. Um, it doesn't, you can't get it back very easily if you give it away. So be really careful about that. Don't charge, don't pay people fees for raising money. So you shouldn't be doing that. And just really be very, very precious about your cap table. Um, and then, you know, I think um, just generally it's just, you know, get out there and, and network and, and don't be frightened to, to approach investors and, and, and really kind of research a bit more about who we are as, as, as funders and what we like to invest in and, but, but do it. You know, um, our job is to see deals. So please don't feel like you, you have to get an introduction to speak to us. Um, you know, that's, that's really important. So please reach out. Yeah, to founders, just talk to people about your idea. Just talk to as many people as you can about what you're doing, what your plans are. Um, I do see a lot of uh, new founders be very secretive about what they're working on. It's, it's totally the wrong approach. Um, when you talk to people about their, about your idea, they can provide new perspectives that you hadn't considered. They can strengthen your idea by um, by poking holes in it and asking you about it. The other thing is also that if you do talk to people about what you're doing, you will come up in their mind the next time they talk to someone who might be able to help you or might be able to fund you. So, yeah, go out, talk to people, tell people what you're doing. Um, it will also uh, uh, encourage a lot more collaboration if you do that. I can't agree more. Um, I remember when I started my first startup and, you know, I was going around, there was so much help, but you had to go and actually speak to people. I remember speaking to Darcel um, at uni, uh, at University of Auckland, and she was like, yep, do you want to pitch to Andy Hamilton? I was like, okay, cool. And uh, we pitched our idea. And is this a willingness to listen? And if you if you have the, I guess, the energy and passion to keep it going, you can, you can uh, there's a lot of support um, and real resources out there as well. And lots of communities like Spark in, at uni and uh, University of Auckland. And, and yeah, there's just so many, so many resources as well. So go out there and just don't be shy. Steph, yeah, I think uh, my biggest advice would probably be once, once getting started is probably the key thing, but once started is really focus. So understand what it is you're doing, what's the mission you're out to set, be happy for the idea to change, but your mission and um, vision of what you're doing is always the same and what drives you and your team. Um, and just making sure you're really clear on what your measures of success are to that. So um, how are you keeping on track and how are you telling the story and really showing that you're progressing um, would be one thing, yeah, that I think I personally haven't done the best. Um, but one thing that I think is incredibly important. Uh, I think for me, uh, top tips for founders and I guess startups is, um, you know, it's never too early to think about the, the relevancy of your product or your innovation to the consumer in terms of whether it's marginal value or really a step change in their experience, right? Because I think um, what you what you can see in this ecosystem is a lot of the, um, you know, I will build it and they will come attitude. Um, which is entirely the wrong way um, to be thinking about your startup, right? You need to be considering what the market pull is um, and you need to be considering how it changes 
the consumer, however you define the consumer, how it changes their experience or use case across some dimension. So it's never too early to think about that. Um, and then I think uh, the other part is also just, you know, when you get to execution, um, don't, you know, be, be, be really fixated on not falling um, into the trap of over-promising and under-delivering. It's, it's kind of, you know, easier said than done, but um, I think well, in, in New Zealand, there's definitely a long list of uh, really spectacular high-flying startups that have over-promised and then under-delivered um, because of an inexperience or inability to have kind of planned ahead for the execution risk. Um, so kind of those two things I would um, definitely kind of think about and um, espouse those values early to make sure you, you kind of um, come out of the gates uh, rip-roaring. Uh, and then lastly, global, think global from day one. Thanks, and yes, Dave here. I'm having that drink that Vignesh was uh, telling me I had to drink when he said it. Um, so I, I think everyone comments are so accurate. That I, I'd say about investors, things that people often don't realize is that VCs have very specific genetic fingerprints. They are very, very good usually at a very specific thing and they will tell you what they're good at so you just need to ask them and they'll say we like companies that do enterprise or we like companies that do consumer or we like companies that have arr and they'll, they'll tell you that very quickly and as fast as you can find the ones that match your vision for your business uh you know the better advice you're going to get secondly they see hundreds of startups they pat their pattern matching is second to none in terms of two aspects one is blind spots uh you know to the point around do you know your global competitors um but understand that their blind spot is not to catch you out it's legitimately to help you be successful and to make sure you're thinking about those things but the second area is the best evolution we've ever had in our business in terms of commercial thinking has always come from investors many of them that haven't invested in us along the way because they do think very far ahead they think about scale they think about growth they think about the historic hundreds of companies they've been thinking about and they're pattern matching your advice so go to those companies for advice and stay in touch with them you know we have large vcs that i chat to every three to six months that are probably still two years away from investing in but they're investing time and in, in helping that journey so uh, definitely reach out to the vcs ask them for money tell them your plan take advice um, and do it a lot can i just add one thing um, i think you should think international from day one Boo. Global, bro. Global. <laughs> we could get into a big rabbit hole here on on this one, and you know, I guess the the reality is every um, you know every startup's going to be a, a little bit different, and you know each has to do what what's right for them. Well, thanks, folks, for listening into this episode of the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Be sure also to check out the New Zealand Business Podcast, New Zealand Everyday Investor this climate business and our other shows across at podcasts.nz and for those with an interest in these new social audio platforms such as clubhouse and twitter spaces you can find me paul spain on those platforms all right thanks everyone paul spain signing out new zealand tech podcast the voice of the tech community proudly supported by umbrella connect 